analysis, and reaction. Here is NL News Director Shane Woodford on 610 AM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. was looking pretty wet and gross out there. It looks like that's clearing up a bit, although still lots of rain in the forecast. A special weather statement out there. We'll have to see how the day unfolds. Uh, either way, we got a great show for you ahead. We're going to talk about uh, a little more equity between men and women uh, in the business place. So a little bit later on, we'll also deal with uh, the Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit's new campaign aimed at organized motorcycle gangs and shedding some light on the outlaw motorcycle gang and, and their uh, involvement in illicit activity and we'll finish off the show with uh, BC Chamber of Commerce annual general meeting from the perspective of our Chamber of Commerce here in Kamloops and President Joshua Nack. But first up from the BCSPCA, the Regional Humane Educator right here in Kamloops. Welcome to the program, Deirdre Campbell. Good morning, Deirdre. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, appreciate you coming on. You got a you got a new gig there as I understand it. Yeah, I've just stepped into the position as the Humane Educator for Kamloops, and this is my third day in the role, so <laughs> Ooh, <trial laughs> definitely by. hit the ground running. Yeah, trial by fire. Before we get into some stuff, just kind of curious, I know that uh, the new facility out there by the airport is uh, is still really fresh, just got going about a month or so ago. How are things going out there? It is great. It's beautiful. We've got a nice big building. We've got lots of room for all the different animals. They've all got the different enclosures, outdoor space. We're still working a little bit on, on building our outdoor space, but it's really coming together, and it's absolutely gorgeous and a wonderful place to work. Yeah, can't wait to go inside and take a look. I've driven by it a couple times, but uh, I haven't been out there since it opened. But it looked like a big improvement for what you guys are dealing with uh, in the other facility on the North Shore there. Yeah, from from what I understand, it is a big improvement and lots more room and uh, definitely a lot brighter. <laughs> no kidding. Okay, so a regional humane educator, uh, what's involved in that gig? What are you doing? Um, it's just my job is to go out into the community and teach different things in humane education. Um, in classrooms mostly, I do workshops as well. But the big focus right now is there are summer camps. We'll be gearing up to uh, put on summer camps throughout the entire summer for the community. And we're just focusing on different humane education uh, topics with the camps. And they'll be learning through different activities, games, crafts, and we'll even have guest speakers coming in. And it's just so that different, we can learn different topics such as pet care and animal welfare. Yeah, do they get to work? directly with animals and get a sense of, you know, develop a bit of a relationship there so they understand how to how to sort of interact with them or yeah, it's our goal to get into the shelter uh, every day. It really depends on if the animals are, are up to it, um, how it's going, but it's our goal to get in and, and help clean up the, the different areas and, you know, take care of the animals and interact with them. But we also, we have, you know, guest speakers come in and do presentations on, on what it takes to um, really, like, train dogs and how to approach dogs safely and stuff. So they're learning a lot of different topics and, and just how to uh, interact with animals in a really safe way. Are the summer camps basically a mixed bag, or do they have themes so you can do this or do specifically that? Um, you can intend for a full week of summer camps, and each day has a different theme. So we'll have like a day we'll focus on wildlife, a day we'll focus on farm life, and a day we'll focus on like pets and stuff. And so, it, you know, each day we'll have something a little bit different. We'll have somebody different hopefully come in to talk to them about those different things and show them different things. Interesting. You guys get pretty good uptake on those? Have you been running them for a while, or...? Um, we ran them last summer, and there was some pretty good interest, so we've actually increased the amount of camps that we're running for this summer, so we'll be running for a full seven weeks, and um, so it looks like the interest is coming in. We've had a lot of people asking, and so registration is up now on the website, so people can start registering for camps. Wow. How many, how many sort of spaces do you guys got up for these things? 
Um, for our older camps, we take 16 campers, and for our younger camps, we take 14. So it just depends what week you're there, but that's the max we'll have. So it's a pretty small group, and everybody gets to know each other, and there's about three staff. So it's really a lot of one-on-one time, and a lot of uh, they get to learn and interact with the staff and the animals a lot. Awesome. I see you guys also offer some uh, financial help for families who, who may not uh, have uh, the funding needed to do this thing, or? Yeah, exactly. We do offer a bursary, so that's just on our website. Anyone's welcome to check that out, and, and they can apply for that bursary if they, they're they uh, wanting to come to our camps. Wow, and I, you're teaching these things directly. You're involved in this directly yourself? Yeah, I am. I'm going to be going in and teaching different presentations, and I'll be the one uh, coming to school year. Next school year, I'll be going into the classrooms and teaching as well. Wow, that's an exciting challenge, huh? Yeah, um, I really enjoy it. I've done a lot of different sort of education. I've worked in museums and stuff, so it's up my, my alley, and it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to work with animals and to, uh, you know, teach others about humane education. So I'm really excited to get out there. Is it really cool for the kids to get sort of hands-on and, and uh, see their sort of emotional reaction to the whole thing? It's really nice for them to, to like have those moments of hands-on, and then they get to you know have those emotional reactions. But you know, sometimes for some camps and kids realize how much work it actually is to have an animal and and recognize that maybe they're not ready for it. And I think that's one of the the most important things is having kids recognize you know how what animals need and and require and how their welfare is important. And maybe we can't always provide that, and we're not ready for that. And learning what it takes, yeah, that's, that's essentially. Good. That's an interesting angle because, I mean, the, the perception would be, okay, great, let's go and get a pet. But it, it is important to learn the line, what you can and can't do, because the last thing we need is, uh, you know, uh, an ugly part of the job of the BCSPCA is, is coming across these really awful cases of, you know, animal suffering, malnutrition, all that kind of stuff. And uh, the more we can cut down at that, I assume the better we are. Exactly, and that's that's my goal is to get out there and educate as many people. And starting with kids is either one of the best; they're very receptive, or like sponges. So you know, getting out there and teaching them as much as I can, and starting there is a really good way, I think. When do the program start? So they'll be running um, from the second week of July through to the second to the last week of August. Okay, and where do people go to if they want to get uh, connected and sign up for this? They just have to go to our website on the BCSBCA um, and our camps and, and workshops link, okay. and you'll be able to find all of it there, and it'll take you straight through to registration. And I'm assuming the sooner the better uh, in case you guys start running out of spaces. Exactly, yeah. It's kind of you want to get in now and uh, make sure you've got your spot uh, all filled before <laughs> someone else takes it. <laughs> Perfect. Before I let you go, how's the how's the, the, uh, the level of animals over there? Is there a big need for, uh, for people to come in and, and adopt or no? Um, it's... I, from what I understand, we have a, a few kittens at the moment. It's kitten season, so we've got a few kittens that are coming in, but I don't think we're we're over capacity or anything like that. We're we're doing pretty good, but, you know, we always encourage people to come in and, and look and take animals home because that's what we want them to do. We want them to find home. Absolutely. Deirdre, thanks so much for taking some time. Really appreciate it, and best of luck on the summer camp and the new job. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's Deirdre Campbell. She's the Regional Humane Educator with the BCSPCA based right here in Kamloops. Uh, she's involved directly in a bunch of summer camps. They're going to be running this summer. You heard uh, how to register just a few minutes ago with Deirdre. Uh, and obviously going to be some big demand there. We'll take a quick break here on the Whitford Show. On the other side, we'll tackle uh, the role of women in the workplace and uh, a male-dominated culture that needs breaking. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. 
The voice of your community. You're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Thank you for listening and welcome back to the Woodford Show. Uh, disturbing study out of Stats Canada finding that uh, women here in Canada hold less than 20% of positions on corporate boards across this country, meaning more than half of corporate boards in Canada are comprised entirely of men. To address that situation and what we can do about it, it's a pleasure to welcome to the program uh, certified success coach and business mentor Nafisa Shireen. Good morning, Nafisa. How are you? Good morning, Shane. I'm excellent. How are you? I am well. Thanks for coming on. So, obviously, when it comes to the world of business and, and big corporations here in Canada, uh, a male-dominated culture still endures. Uh, what do we do about it? How do we shake that up? Well, I mean, there's no doubt there's um, a lot of external factors that are, are contributing to that. And in my corporate days, I sat on committees and boards and um, trying to figure out what to do with that. And there's but I believe that every woman also needs to take a proactive role in putting herself forward because when we look at external circumstances and we take ourselves out of the game, we're contributing to that cause as well. So I think that's the first place to really start is thinking, okay, well, what have I done? What can I do? And just start applying for those positions, even if you don't think you're qualified or you think the odds are against you. Um, they're a lot more against you if you don't apply for them. Is it a case of we have women out there who are qualified and maybe to some degree aren't throwing their name out as you just said, or are they being overlooked, or or is it a fact there's there's not a lot of women uh, who have the qualifications and aren't being looked at seriously? Which is it? Are they kind of being overlooked, or or is there a dearth of women with those qualifications? I th- well, I mean, I think there's a lot of qualified women. I think it's a combination of both uh, of being of being overlooked as well as not putting themselves out there. And I know there's. Um, Having been on committees in the past, there's, and I've, I've read it in the news where we're talking about mandating it or having criteria, but I know from having sat at a boardroom table myself, you know, it's one thing to get a seat at the table, but you also want to have a voice at the table. And so I know I never would have wanted to be that token woman that had to be there to meet a metric. Um, and so if, if it was impossible for women to get those positions, there wouldn't be any, right? <laughs> but there are some women. So it's, it's about really working together. So we can't control the outside factors. We can't control whether we're going to be overlooked. But what we can control is the decisions and the actions we take. And a lot of, um, I mean, whether it's in corporate or in, in their own business, everybody is driven by beliefs and behaviors. And when we get to what those subconscious beliefs are, if we don't believe something can happen for us, we don't take the action. And so that's the first step that I believe women need to take is, is to put themselves out there. And also, um, it, it happens all the time. If there's a position available or a client available, like I see this happen with entrepreneurs, men will go for it, even if they don't have all the qualifications. Women will hold back if they're missing just even one little thing. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. Is there is there a role? I mean, there obviously is a role here for for male-dominated corporate boards. Uh, but should some of these places take a hard look in the mirror and and look at who's around the table and say, okay, listen, uh, there's there's a lot of things missing here. We don't have a lot of diversity. Uh, we're seeing a lot of guy. We're not. I mean, is there a role for corporations to say, okay, we need to go out there and seek out uh, candidates that address some of these things? And I don't. I mean, you said a minute ago you don't have mandates or have token people on the board. But I think that there probably is some role for corporations to recognize a weakness and try and solve that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I love what you said because sometimes I, I don't 
believe that, you know, they're going out and deliberately saying we're going to fill this room with men, right? But that's what they're doing. And so if they actually take a hard look in the mirror to look back and reflect at what they've done, because most corporations want to be socially responsible, and um, whether, you know, as individuals we're looking at ourselves in the mirror to, to, to really grow, it's, it applies for corporations because corporations are a legal person as well. They need to have that look in the mirror to maybe suddenly be aware and go, hey, wait a minute, we're, we're imbalanced here. What can we do, right? Absolutely. We talk about uh, corporate boards lacking women. Uh, how about women in, in roles of power, women in uh, roles as CEOs and, and really calling the shots in these corporations? I assume if we're seeing a lack of women on the board themselves, that there must be a real disparity when it comes to women in positions of power. Yes, there absolutely is. Um, I, I worked in, when I was in my corporate days, I worked in the mining industry, and I worked for a very progressive company, so we had a lot of women in, in the CEO and, and vice president roles, um, but it's the same thing. If, if you were to go look at the C-suite or the executive roles, where they need to have a good hard look at what facing them in the corporation and women in those corporations need to start putting the idea in their head that that role is available to me as well because if they don't start to put that idea in there um, in their own heads they're not going to be taking the actions and making the decisions to get themselves considered or put in the running and you might hear no um, but we always hear more no's in life than yeses however as more women start to put themselves forward it also it's it's a I like to call it a positive circle, right? The companies are looking at themselves, the women are making themselves more available. We're going to start to see more women in those roles. These corporations make decisions, they're selling products, they're charting a strategic course, uh, they have a big economic impact. Um, what are they missing out if they don't have, have women on their board? What, what is missing from that sphere? Well, I mean, the first thing is most purchasing decisions in any household are usually influenced by the woman, right? So um, I think having when they're looking at making decisions for, for the products they're selling, having women on those boards is going to help with, with that aspect. But also in terms of um, having companies grow progressively, having um, policies that work uh, internally to have more cohesive teams, just to have a different perspective on things, right? Because just men and women have different perspectives and both are really valid and both bring a lot to the table and so having that balance is going to help them to grow stronger stronger companies um, from the inside out. To flip the script, um, should we also look at universities and some of these business programs to ensure that uh, universities are going out and uh, saying okay we need gender equity, we need diversity in our students in order to kind of then churn out candidates that can go out and seek these jobs? I think it applies everywhere, right? Um, I mean, I, I still firmly believe that it starts with the individual within themselves um, as well to put themselves out there. But when people are going to places like universities or putting themselves out for jobs, those those institutions also do have a responsibility to make sure that they are diverse. So diversity isn't just um, different ethnicities and, and belief systems. It's female versus male. So yes, absolutely. Well, you've touched on a little bit uh, throughout this conversation, but what can women do? I mean, if, if, women, if there's women out there who have, uh, they've busted their butts in school, they've got the business acumen, they've got the credentials, uh, and yet they can't seem to crack this glass ceiling, what can they do to empower themselves specifically? Well, this, the, the external glass ceiling is one that can't be cracked until you crack your internal glass ceiling. And what women can start to do is to start to really 
take a step back and look at their accomplishments. I was working with a client the other day where she wanted to apply for something and she had everything except one thing. And it was classic. She said, I don't think I'm qualified. <laughs> I told her, you know, you go for it. That's one tiny thing that you're missing. And so that we stop looking at what we're missing and start looking at what we've created, what we're capable of creating. And then also um, to really find mentors that can help them um, within their organizations. My corporate career, I had a lot of mentors that I worked with that could help groom me and help me to build that confidence in myself to not just have a seat at the table, but to have a voice at the table and have a champion in the organization. And champions aren't necessarily going to come and find you. You have to go find your own champion. I, I mean, I know that from personal experience for myself and also mentoring other people in the corporate world that it's, it's important that you go find that um, to help you because we're, all, we, we're always stronger together, right? Not just on our own. I was sort of fascinated to, uh, to read a little bit about how you uh, use animals, horses in particular, to kind of draw people out and uh, touch base with their strengths and learn how to go out and achieve results. What, what is it about that connection? What do you do? How, do, how does that sort of add up? Um, well, working with horses is, is really fascinating because they are prey animals and everything about them has to do with nonverbal communication. And you can really learn a lot about how you're showing up. So just like at a boardroom table or if you're an entrepreneur trying to get that really big client, if you show up with nervous energy or you're not sure of yourself, um, the chances of you being heard or listened to do diminish because you're not projecting that confidence or that trust in yourself or maybe your body language is out of alignment. And when you're working with a horse, you learn pretty quickly what those signals are because a horse won't respond to you if you're nervous, out of alignment, because they're prey animals. It's not safe for them. Um, and you learn a lot about uh, about what you believe about yourself and most importantly about, about your nonverbal communication, which is 90% of our communication. Nafisa, we're just about out of time, but just out of curiosity, I mean, we have some stats here on which we're basing this conversation. There's a, there's a real lack of women on boards, more than half in the country, according to StatsCan. Uh, as far as, a, I mean, is it a, a one, two, five-year five stretch? I mean, at what point do you look back and say, okay, we've made big, major progress or, or not? At what point do we look back? I think we need to be checking this constantly. Like, every year we need to be reevaluating because... Um, Big changes happen in small steps, and it's not about the result as much as the actions we're taking every day. And so as, as a country, as individuals, as corporations, as women, if we can look back and start to see the changes and the micro shifts, we will start to see big ones in a few years. Nafisa, thank you so much for taking some time, and I really hope we make some major progress on this. Thank you. I do, too. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Nafisa Shireen. Uh, she's an entrepreneur and a certified success coach, talking about a lack of women on corporate boards across this country and hopefully see some major movement to address that situation uh, sooner rather than later. We'll take a quick break here on the Woodford Show. On the other side, we'll touch base with the Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit as they look to throw outlaw motorcycle gangs in the spotlight. Radio NL, 610 AM, and RadioNL.com. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Shane Woodford on RadioNL.com. 
Good morning. Welcome back to the Woodford Show. Real pleasure to welcome to the program from the Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit, Sergeant Brenda Winpenny. Good morning, Brenda. How are you? Good morning. I'm, I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. No, thanks for coming on. It's an important topic. Uh, you guys have been working hard uh, on the End Gang Life program, and you've unveiled sort of a, a new initiative or a new chapter in that aimed at outlaw motorcycle gangs. Before we get into the program itself, what was the thinking behind it? What was the motivation to kind of say, okay, this particular part of gang life needs some spotlight? Absolutely, yeah. And as you know, CFSU being the, the province's anti-gang unit, we, we knew it was really important um, to address uh, outlaw motorcycle gangs. And they've fostered this sanitized image where uh, they want the public to believe that they're they're good guys they they do good things in the community um and we we know that there's this this image out there with the public that um they are just these in motorcycle enthusiasts that they, they like to call themselves and it's just not true and we really feel it, it's important and we're passionate about uh educating the public and letting them know exactly uh, what outlaw motorcycle gangs or OMGs as we call them are, are all about and the threat that they uh, pose to the public and our safety um, and this is what we're doing with this new campaign. Alright, so tell me a little bit about the campaign itself. Uh, how do you hope to spread the message and, and get people uh, to put their eyes and ears to this thing and get an understanding uh, of the dangers here in order to accomplish the end game which of course is to end gang life? Exactly. It's it's uh, it's sort of taken on a life of its own. Actually, we've we've done a lot of research. We've uh, prepared ourselves well to educate the public about uh, exactly what uh, kind of criminal activity that these guys represent uh, and the threat that they pose to to the public. And it's gotten the attention of our um, other policing partners throughout the uh, uh, Canada. And it's been adopted nationally with all of our policing partners as a, as a national campaign. We all feel passionate about it. It's a national priority that this has to get addressed. And, and we've all taken on uh, a, a piece of that in, in leading the campaign, led by CFSEU and our material. Um, and we've launched uh, our, our social media campaign on Tuesday, actually with sort of the first sort of uh, bit where we expose what we're wanting to do and a little bit about what uh, OMG stand for. And it'll continue on with these social media uh, posts by our other partners throughout the um, country. And it'll continue on. We're creating a, a Myth and Reality series. Um, there'll be some videos, some public service announcements. Um, and it, it's a really robust campaign that we hope will disrupt their activity, it will um, educate the public, and the public is going to take a stance that this isn't acceptable, um, the threat that they do pose to our safety. Uh, I know sort of personally from covering um, some of the gang stuff over the last decade or so, a lot of different groups get the spotlight over the last like, Red Scorpions, or United Nations, whatever, the new ones are popping up. Uh, you don't hear a whole lot about, you know, Hells Angels or certain biker gangs. I mean, to some degree you do, but um, give me a sense of how active and how much uh, a part of the, the gang and drug and criminal culture that they are in this province. Uh, I assume that they play a significant role. They do. They do play a significant role. And, and like I indicated earlier, they've, they've managed to foster this sanitized image uh, and kind of stay out of the limelight or, or the public's um, eye. 
But this is uh, fueled. This is fueled by the outlaw motorcycle gangs, this violence, this level of violence and drug trade. Uh, they have far-reaching um, capabilities internationally, worldwide, um, and they they control the drug trade, which then filters down uh, locally as you see it. Uh, there's we, in Kamloops we have the throttle locker threat and presence, um, and directly would influence all the the violence that Kamloops has uh, sorry experienced in, in the recent past. We just last week had uh, the Cam or sorry the Kelowna held Angels chapter be subject to a search warrant and directly related to an investigation with one of their prospect members. Uh, being charged with a very serious assault in, in Kelowna. Um, so these are the, the types of things that these guys are involved in, and it just um, hasn't had the exposure that it needs for the public to understand the, the true threat, and, and this is what we're going to try and do. One of the sort of uh, perceptually based things out there, uh, and I've, I've heard it firsthand in my life, is, oh, you hear these rumors, well, the Hells Angels money is behind this establishment, that establishment. Uh, they're kind of this mysterious kind of omnipresent entity out there in the minds of many that they're behind legitimate businesses. Is it hard to reach these people? Is it hard to dismantle some of these? Some of these, And it, to, to some degree, is that even true, that they're, they're invested and have all these business fronts out there? It is. They have they have a, a huge social economic impact on on our communities. They're involved in things such as fraud, counterfeiting, money laundering, extortion, corruption, um, and you know it. It they're they are complex and involved investigations. But the locally, the, the CFSU as well as our national partners are completely committed to exposing this and continuing on with investigations. It's just that they are, they're complex and they take time, and that could be perhaps why there isn't as much attention to it. However, you, we know from past there's um, uh, outlaw motorcycle gang members that have been charged with murder and serious assaults and uh, acts of violence. So it, I, there is the exposure, but I think that we just need to uh, capitalize on that and make sure that the public understands what is going on so that they can make those informed choices. Is part of the uh, the campaign, obviously, is to educate and to, and to throw some spotlight on this thing, but uh, is there an aspect of it where you're hoping that you're going to get some genuine information and tips that could lead to uh, some charges, some criminal investigations, etc.? It could very well. You know, the, the more that we educate and expose what these guys are, are really about, it could lead to, to individuals even wanting to get out of the of that lifestyle and uh, participate in our gang and in, in exiting and intervention program. We certainly have those supports available for them, uh, and we want the, there to be the disruption and uh, make it very um, uncomfortable to operate in the province. Are you taking this campaign to, to communities, to schools, things like that, or how does it sort of operate on a deployment basis? Uh, we don't necessarily have a um, campaign that would be coming specifically into the, co the communities. We do hope that we're getting the exposure that we need through our social media channels, and we certainly uh, could address any kind of specific community needs as far as education goes, if there is a need. I see that there's a documentary involved in this. I believe it's called The Last Chapter. Uh, where can we put our eyes on this thing? We, you can definitely look at our website, uh, www.cfsubc.ca. Um, it'll direct you into our uh, 
main page for this campaign. And uh, there is, uh, as we populate social media, we'll be uh, populating our uh, website as well so that people can access this information and, and educate themselves on the subject. I know you guys have been to Kamloops a couple of times, just out of curiosity. We haven't had a flare-up of gang violence, thankfully, lately. But uh, any plans to come back at all or no? We're always available to come to any of our, our communities in the, in the province. We are dedicated and passionate about supporting our communities. And if there is a need, we will absolutely uh, be supporting Kamloops if, if, if the time comes and, and need be. Excellent. I guess my last question is just on the hierarchy of motorcycle gangs. Is there, you know, there's a, you know, you look at, say, the mafia, there's always this kind of big boss guy behind the scenes. Uh, is it a situation, do you know who these people are that are sort of um, in the executive of these motorcycle gangs? And is it a matter of if you chop the head off the snake, then you won the war or no? Yeah, we, we do. We do know um, who the, the higher-ups or the, the, how the hierarchy works in, in the organized crime world and the OMGs. Um, specifically, say, talking about the, the uh, Hells Angels, of course there's uh, a hierarchy in, within the club, and they use the you know, intimidation and, and violence to be able to continue on with, with their activity. And you know, like, as we've seen recently, they've done a lot of work um, developing their, uh, um, as we call them, farm teams, their puppet clubs. Um, the, the executive in the, the current chapters is getting older. So we, we have seen a slight emergence in, in puppet clubs being developed, and their sole purpose is to support um, the Hells Angels and outlaw, outlaw motorcycle gangs. So, yes, it, we're aware of it. And it's uh, always on our radar, and we'll continue to work um, with our partner agencies to address that. Brenda, always a pleasure. Thank you for taking some time and talking about this important subject. And Thank uh, you very much. At the end of the day, good luck on the hunt and, and taking these guys out. We, we wish you well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. That's Sergeant Brenda Winpenny. She's with the Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit talking about a new campaign they've launched, part of their End Gang Life campaign. But this particular chapter or segment based on uh, putting some spotlight on outlaw motorcycle gangs. We'll take a quick break here on The Woodford Show. On the other side, we'll finish up with Joshua Knack, President of the Kamloops Chamber of Commerce. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local News Now. You're listening to Shane Woodford on Radio NL 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, today marks the beginning of the annual Chamber of Commerce, the BC Chamber of Commerce, that is, annual general meeting. It was held right here in Kamloops last year. Uh, it's being held in Burnaby this year, and we're going to check in with the president of the Kamloops Chamber of Commerce. He's going to be taking some of the uh, conference in. Uh, good morning to Joshua Knack. How are you? Great, Shane. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Uh, listen, you guys got uh, you got eight resolutions on the table here. I note uh, that the chamber, in its press release out, uh, highlighted some of the sort of uh, the big eight for up for consideration. You guys cracked that one with the time change resolution. Uh, you know what? I got to be honest with you, Joshua. I think this one's going to happen. What do you think? Uh, it certainly seems to be uh, certainly seems to be getting some traction. Um, well, part of it was, you know, part of that resolution. That resolution came out. It was three years ago, I think, that it first uh, first passed. And and uh, you know, and at that point, it was let's let's uh, speak with some other jurisdictions. Let's speak with uh, you know some of the the other areas that it would make sense for us to align with. And it seems like it's gotten some equal traction there as well. So yeah, it, it certainly uh, certainly seems to be headed the right direction. And it, and it's a bigger issue than. Um, it's a bigger issue than I think what what many many people may think. 
How so? The, the impact that it has, uh, just from a, a safety perspective, in in many industries, um, and and, uh, and and it's really just at this point. I mean, the the rationale behind it is it, it's not it's not there anymore. We're we're not we're not as agriculturally based as we once were, and uh, the. the uh, yeah, and I think the, the rationale is gone, and uh, and so should the time change. Yeah, well, it's certainly been a fire starter among the public. I was a little bit surprised, but again, I really think we're going to see it happen, and probably sooner rather than later. Uh, seven other resolutions you guys are bringing to the table. The one that I'm most surprised has not been addressed yet is this ongoing saga around the PST and how it's impacting contractors, uh, which I believe boiled out of the whole HST debate some years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think what happened there was we had PST, we switched to HST, and then switched back to PST, and uh, and and there was some collection of of PST um, confusion at the time, and basically what what it boiled down to was um, when when a contractor or, or when a um, uh, somebody providing materials um, sells a product. There's there's two different ways of doing it. If they sell it, if they sell it as finished product, then then there's uh, then there's PST on it. If they sell it as a building material, then there's not. But how do you know? Um, because they paid it on the way in, right? They paid it. Uh, they paid it when they when they purchased it. But how do you know if you're say a home hardware and bringing in two by fours, um, which two by fours you're going to sell as part of a garage package that you're going to build for someone else, or how many you're going to sell to uh, you know, to a contractor that's that's going to do it as well, and and so what was happening was <clears throat> it was effectively they were they were collecting the tax from the parties as best as they 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 could foresee the way that things were going to shake out, um, but then the government came back and said no, you collected it at at sale, um, you should have paid it on on purchase, now pay us on purchase. And uh, and the contractors went back, or the uh, the um, the materials uh, providers went back and said, well, you've already got the PST, you just you got it on this transaction instead of on this one. And the government said, well, that's your problem. We want it on this one. Um, and so what what ended up happening there was it, it was effectively double taxation yeah. and uh, double taxation along with audit penalties and fines, and uh, and basically the idea of saying now if you want if you want to get the money back, go back to uh, go back to to your client and say now I need to collect from you um, or, you know, sort it out yourself. And, and it, it just, it, it doesn't make any sense because we understand that, that we, you know, that there's taxes for a reason that taxes need to be paid, but they should only be paid once. And, uh, and when there's a, a pretty confusing scenario that's, uh, that's brought on by, you know, brought on by the, by, by the government changing, changing the guidelines, um, some, some consideration would be great. And that's something that, uh, that, that we've been working on for quite some time, and it's a confusing issue, and, and I think it's, it's, it's a challenge to communicate, and so people don't even necessarily realize what's happening. Um, we found with chambers across BC, they, they were at varying levels of awareness because a lot of, a lot of the contractors, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the businesses just, just said, uh, like, it's too hard to fight. We're just going right. to pay it. But there's millions of dollars right now of double taxation represented just in Kamloops alone, yeah. and that's, uh, that's a big one. Yeah, I did a story on that I think a year or two ago and uh, yeah. had some figures in there about what it was costing some local businesses. I'm That's why I'm surprised it's still an issue. Why the heel dragging and what seems to me might be a stroke of a pen fix somewhere in the Ministry of Finance? Yes. I, I mean, again, I think it, to some extent it gets back to to 
really being able to understand the problem. And so part of what we've worked out at the Canada's Chamber is to is to just simplify it. You know, it's, it's a significantly shorter policy this year than it was three years ago because, it, it, we, you know, you really got to just get to the to the core of it so that the Minister of Finance or the Deputy Ministers can, can read it, understand the problem, and, uh, and, then, and then move ahead with the solution. And, and we certainly hope to see that soon. Other than the time change in this, this PST confusion, uh, what are the other, is there another uh, resolution or two that are priority for you in the AGM this weekend or no? Yeah, I think another big one is the is mandatory drivers training. This is one where we're for commercial uh, for commercial truck drivers. Uh, this is one where we're seeing other provinces make moves. I think it was Ontario and Saskatchewan probably in the last 12 months have moved along to uh, to this to to uh, mandatory drivers training that has um, that with standardized uh, standardized training and uh, it's something that we don't have in BC. Um, we have certainly seen uh, we've seen some 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 challenges come up across Canada, um, many of which can be traced back to uh, to inadequate training. And this is even something that the trucking industry is behind. So I mean, this is another one where you know where government can look at it as a win-win because you know as far as business is saying, please do this. The trucking industry is saying do this, and uh, and the general public wants to wants to feel as safe as they can on the highway. So again, this is another one where it, it just it seems like an easy win for uh, for government to say yes, we're going to join the other provinces that are doing this and implement uh, implement uh, a requirement for uh, driver's training. Do you anticipate all, all of the resolutions you guys are bringing to the table will pass the muster over the weekend or no? Well, I think the daylight savings time is probably the most controversial one, um, but that's the one that seems to be getting the most traction. So, yeah, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, I don't think we have any really, really controversial ones coming out of the Kamloops this year. We'll do better next year. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> uh, I know, uh, just last question here, I know that we had the, the Chamber AGM in Kamloops for the first time in a long time last year. Uh, the feedback I heard was, was really, really positive. I know it's in Burnaby this year and it flies around here, there and everywhere, but uh, any chance of it coming back here anytime soon or no? Oh, I, I, I think uh, I think there's a very good chance. I mean, obviously we've got to we've got to share the love around the province. But uh, but no, you're absolutely right. I, I loved hearing the comments. I loved hearing the comments from people who hadn't been here in you know 20 years. It's said, boy, this isn't the Kamloops that I remember. And so whether we get the AGM back or not, I know that the people that were here are coming back, and the people that uh, that that came from that are are looking at this as as a you know as a market that they that they can do business in, as a market that they. Uh, they can that they can vacation in, and, uh, and that was really the exposure that we we're looking for. So certainly, we'd love to love to get the AGM back here. But in the meantime, we'd uh, what it, what was it the tourism Kamloops uh, the tourism Kamloops campaign about another day or something like that? So maybe add another week next time <laughs> these uh, next time these people are coming up from the coast. Joshua, always a pleasure. Thanks, man. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Thanks, Shane. That's Joshua Nack. He's the president of the Kamloops Chamber of Commerce. As you heard there, uh, they brought eight policies to the table at the annual general meeting, which gets going this weekend. And we'll see how those go. The biggest one even being highlighted by the BC Chamber itself is the one on time change. Again, I really think that's going to happen. Uh, uh, the Premier wants it to happen. Uh, looks like it's happening in Washington State. Uh, we're waiting in Oregon and California. And if once those two states go... Uh, then I think we'll see the trigger pulled on ending the time change right across the West Coast. Anyway, uh, that's the end of, the, of the, today's edition of the Woodford Show. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you again right here on Radio NL tomorrow. The name of the show changes, though. Inside Politics, coming your way Friday morning. 12.30 Merritt, 13.40 Ashcroft, Cash Creek, from CHNL in Kamloops, a Stingray radio station. This is Radio NL, 6.10 a.m. Local News Now.